We can be found on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Like, share, subscribe, and leave us a comment down below. Now, on with the show. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. Fucking thing. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Right. Fuck it. I love you, Ro. Don't keep me waiting. This embryo belongs to Satan. Oh, that was great! <laughs> uh, sweetheart. It was a little flat. Uh, honey. Oh, sweetheart. Uh, Death Holler is a horror cast created by two true horror fans to bring to the table your favorite horror films. Topics include, but are not limited to, historical horror, gore, the occult, and terror. Listener discretion is advised. After such <laughs> serious talk, let, let, let's have a fun little moment here. I'm going to read a passage from the novel because <laughs> I have to because this is so crazy and so Harlequin romance. Yay! Anybody who might be anybody who might be slightly offended by this, and if you are, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. Period. But you know, skip ahead a few minutes, and you know that way you can get through this because I'm about to read like you know a little bit of a. Uh, I don't Harlequin porn here that came right out of the novel. Um, I'm going to put on uh, uh, just for uh, clarity on what we're talking about here. Rosemary is is tied down at this point. She uh, thinks Guy's the one that's caressing her because she sees Guy's face because just like you said, and we'll get to that in here in a second. He is standing beside of her uh, while Doctor Saperstein and. Uh, uh, Roman or like painting like blood all over her naked body and, and some other bullshit. And all, you know, Manny and the rest of them, I guess, are naked. I don't know. I don't want to think Their about that. Their tits hang so low, you going. can't see them in the shot. Yeah, they're, <laughs> but it... It, a lot of, you know, nasty old people are like, you know, doing their thing around them. And so she, but she thinks her husband is there, you know, caressing her leading into this. So with having said that, I will put on my, put on my smoking jacket here. I'll lean back in my, you know, hard back uh, <laughs> leather chair and I will read you uh, this passage here, uh, cueing the music from a masterpiece theater. Oh, okay. He stroked her with both hands. A long, relishing stroke that began at her bound wrist slid down over to her arms, breast, and loins and became a voluptuous tickling between her legs. He repeated the exciting stroke again and again, his hands hot and sharp nailed, and then, when she was ready, uh, ready, more than ready, he slipped a hand in under her buttocks, raised them, lodged his hardness against her, and pushed it powerfully in. Bigger he was than always, painfully, wonderfully big, he lay forward upon her, his broad chest crushing her breast. He was wearing, because it was to be a costume party, a suit of coarse leathery armor. Brutally, rhythmically, he drove his new hugeness. She smelled sulfur and tannis root, felt wet breath on her mouth, heard lust grunts and then breathing of onlookers. This is no dream, she thought. This is real. This is happening. 
protest woke in her eyes and throat, but something covered her face, smothering her in a sweet stench. The hugeness kept driving in her, the leathery body, body itself against her again and again and again. End scene. What were go- what were you? No, I shouldn't say what was going through your head. Obviously, you're reading. What are you thinking after you read this? Like, what the fuck did I just read? Uh, I was just like, oh my god, this is like you know, you're reading about this woman getting raped by Satan. Um, but they turned it into you're, a you're sweet, reading... sweet love making session by Satan. <laughs> I mean, you heard you heard what I just read. I mean that that is that is what is in the novel, and I'm just like, <laughs> I prefer. <laughs> I almost laughed when I read it. I was like, I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, yeah, I guess it's been told from Rosemary's perspective, and I guess that's how a housewife might, you know, view this, maybe. Uh, you know, if you're through the lens of a guy, maybe. But uh, I'm just like, this is weird. This is just so laughably weird. Oh, my God. And most romance um, novels are. I just, I don't get into those. So I'm always chuckling and giggling like a little fucking, you know, teenager that got their hands on the wrong thing. <laughs> I just the, the part about the part about the hugeness slamming into her again know, and again. I was just and like, I almost like, lost it. Oh my it. god, really? Why, God? Why is we always got to be talking about the devil's junk? I mean, <laughs> genitalia. <laughs> but apparent, but you know, the devil has a big penis, so you know, or a big cock. Since you know, so there you go. You've seen um, it in another movie. You know that was Krampus. Just kidding. <laughs> He's the Christmas devil. Okay, but, whatever. It was a devil. But anyways, I had to bring that up because I have to say that the movie did such a better job in this scene because it, it the movie drives home the horror of what's happening in the Rosemary versus this. This does not drive home horror to me. I mean, it's bad what's happening to her when you contextually take it in, but it's it's told in such a laughably Harlequin romance way in the novel that it's hard to take it seriously. But in the movie, it's like, you know, she, you know... It's like she sees these devil eyes. She oh, sees, yeah. you know, what's what's happening to her, and she doesn't act like she's enjoying it at all. She just, because she can't. Like, she's just, I mean, she's basically just limp and just has to deal with it. And then, of course, you know, let, let's discuss what you were talking about. You got fucking guy over here just watching the shit. Yeah, like, he's like, oh, all he says, too, is, oh, my God, she's awake. She knows what's going on. Like, not like, hey, by the way. My wife's getting raped by the fucking devil. Yeah, and then like Minnie or somebody says, it's okay, she's not moving, so... Keep singing. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> she's fine. Um, I'm going to have to say, so, you know, is for me, my kids, they get to watch um, horror of all sorts. Like, they get to see scary movies. I have no problem with them watching the goriest of scary movies, but sex scenes are a hard no for me. Um, my daughter is 13 now. It's eventually going to get to the point where she's going to see something. So I am going to say uncomfortably that as a mom, the way they cover things up pretty good and you know what's happening, but you don't actually see anything crazy, which they weren't going to have that back then anyways. I think in a sad way, it's a better introduction to ultimately one day my daughter's going to see something like this on TV, you know? Right, and then they did it in a, a tasteful way, if you want to say that, about a rape scene. Yeah, but, you know, to be able, it's... you know, to explain, and obviously I'm able to kind of discuss with her what's going on, and she understands fully, you know, everything, that's cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it. I they did a good job. There's tits all over this movie, but come on, my little one has been to Vegas, she saw tits on the street, so... 
<laughs> it wasn't anything new. <laughs> we don't make it weird. We're not like, oh my God, those are boobies. Cover your eyes, you know, or anything. I mean, <laughs> well, if you call it out, it makes it more taboo and weird. It anyway, does. So, so we try, but of... we also are not hell. We're not those pants that are hell cool. Like, yeah, it's just sex. It's no big deal. Nah, you can wait. <laughs> you can wait. Well, yeah, there's a. There's a certain point where you're like, yeah, I don't think this is appropriate for, you know, like I, I saw something recently. There was a there, there's a like YouTube channel I watch where they kind of make fun of older or like, you know, these these just shitty VHS, you know, like films and something. And there's like one where these hippies made like a VHS tape oriented toward like three to five year olds with cartoons talking about sex and as like these, you know, like animated sperm. And I'm like, I felt grossed out by it. I'm like, <laughs> that is too young. I'm sorry. I don't care what kind of a hippie you are. That's too young to be telling kids about the birds and the bees, at least that explicitly. I mean, you know, you don't yeah. have to be a prude about it, but. So as much as you can um, say for a rape scene, which is terrible <laughs> in its own right, to say it's so strange to say, yes, tastefully done um, there sometimes when it comes to movies and they're approaching very hard topics like this, um, you it's one way to kind of bring up the topic so that you can kind of discuss it in a different way and to not have it be violent and so vivid is, you know, appreciated. <laughs> so appreciated. And just a little bit of trivia about this scene. Uh, I will agree. I, th- I th- again, I think this scene is way better in the movie than it is in the book. Oh yeah. You know, you heard what I, <laughs> but I mean, I, I I do think that Polanski, you know, gave it its weight that it needed. He gave it, you know, even if he kept it, you know, within tasteful bounds. I mean, as far as what's being presented, he did make it horrific. You know, the way it's supposed to be intended. Um, but. The, just a little bit of trivia, that's not actually Mia Farrow that's in the scene. She refused to do the nude scenes in the movie, and they got, like, a body double. I mean, that's probably, you know, apparent to a lot of people. But, like, she, yeah. that was the one thing. When she when she was reading the scenes with uh, then-husband Frank Sinatra, you know, which is right before, you know, he didn't want her to take the, the movie at all, by the way. He didn't think, uh, in a, in a Guy Woodhouse work. moment... He, in a Guy Woodhouse moment, he literally told her that she wasn't, that wasn't the kind of movie for her. I mean, if he, Frank Sinatra was literally Guy Woodhouse to Mia Farrow when it came to that. But uh, he, whenever he, you know, I, I think he very much hated the, the fact that, you know, she would be nude in the movie and, you know, that played on, you know, some of his stuff, him being the macho man that he was. And, uh, and she didn't want to do it anyways because she kind of felt, you know, a little bit, you know, insecure about it and that sort of thing. And so that's not her. Uh, just a little bit of trivia um but all that leads into the next part of the movie which is act two which is the, all about the pregnancy oh man and we don't have to we don't have to delve too deeply into any of this but there are some interesting points about it i do have to say immediately after that scene when she wakes up and she realizes what happens to her because she's got the claw marks on her and she was scratch marks she thinks that god did it you know that he raped her you know or took advantage of her while she's sleeping he agrees i mean he being the asshole he is he he agrees oh yeah and plays it down he's he says the worst thing i've ever heard in a movie he was like it was kind of fun in a necrophile sort of way Yeah, i was like ew gross Oh my God! I was like, if if I didn't hate you from the fact that you <laughs> willingly drugged your wife, that cemented it. You are a complete and total 
piece of shit. I mean, you know, the fact that he would make that he would even make that joke. I mean, and and again, I think that's the the actor John Cassavetes who brings more to that because I don't know that if it'd been told by a pretty boy like Redford, it, it might have had I don't know it might have came off differently. But when you see him say it, you know, the actor that's in the movie, it's like oh my god, you're a scumbag. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like just the way he delivers it, I mean, is even, you know. It definitely was cringeworthy. I mean, like, and she the, she plays the vulnerability so well. Like, oh, my God, you did that to me while I was out? And then he tries to be like, well, I was loaded, too. Shut, shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was loaded, too. I know you were, like, falling down and I had to carry you to the bed. But, uh, hey, you know, we were wanting to have a baby, so uh, here we go. Oh, yeah, like we and, really wanted and, this and, baby all and, of a sudden. Yeah, and she makes the point, she's like, you know that that didn't have to be that night, right? That there's a window that we could have done it, you know, and like, uh, you know, and of course he just plays it off, you know. But that that whole thing about a necrophile, I'm like, man, that, ugh. Yeah, that was grody. <laughs> um, I do have to say in the novel at this point, there's one thing that I, I'm glad, it's, it's good that it's not in the movie, uh, given what Plansky was trying to do, but at the same time, I don't like it and not being in the movie either. I'm, I'm torn on it because at the, this point in the, in the novel, she leaves Guy. She leaves because she's so hurt over what happened to her. Oh. And she goes and she, and she talks to Hutch, and Hutch has a cabin out somewhere, outside of New York somewhere, and she goes and she stays in it for a good long while, and she... And she contemplates leaving him completely, but then her, you know, being Rosemary who she is, she decides to give him one more chance, and then she comes back to him. So ultimately, it doesn't mean anything in the novel as far as that goes, but I, it does mean something because she, it gives her, she's not a pushover as much in the novel versus the movie. Like, she doesn't just accept it and move on. Like, it seems that she does, you can tell she's still hurt about it in the movie, but, like, she just lives with it. Whereas in the book, she actually just, like, fuck you. I'm, you know, that, that's, you know, you shouldn't have done that to me. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate that more about her character in the novel than I do in the movie. Yeah. Um, I feel like beyond this point, obviously, spoiler alert, folks, she gets pregnant. And I feel like the movie <laughs> drags on a little too long with her pregnancy. And there are scenes that, I mean, yeah, they're part of the movie, so you get them. And it's not that they don't mean nothing. I just didn't feel they were relevant enough. So I'm going to bring up the scene where she stands her ground and she wants to have the party with just her friends. None of the old people are invited. And right. she ends up crying in the kitchen with her best girlfriends and her sister, I believe, about how much pain she's in, and they start convincing her to go see Dr. Hill. And then end of that scene where Guy is yelling at her because the house is ruined and they might as well sell it, and he's giving her shit. She's crying about how much pain she's in, which I'm going to ask again about if she's drinking this tannis root that's supposed to be good for the baby, why is she in so much pain? I don't know if you got any answer in that book, but... I, I've got I've got an answer for it, but you know, okay. just you know, keep going. It, it, so she stands up and she's really adamant and like, no, I'm gonna go see Doctor Hill, and he's screaming at her that she's not because he has to pay for it and blah blah blah. And all of a sudden, she's fine. The pain is gone, and ironically, pregnancies can work that way. I've had that experience where you're in so much pain for like the first, I don't know, three months. And then one day you just wake up, it's gone. It's weird. It's really weird. And you do think something's wrong. You get really nervous um, and nothing was wrong. But I was wondering what her, I went and saw the doctor. Like we constantly made sure everything was okay. And sometimes I did have complications that they had to correct. 
but she's going days here, weeks. I don't know how far along in her pregnancy she is. Right now she looks like a bag of bones. And her fucking under eyes are as black as night, you know? Looks like guy punched I've got her several sometimes. things. All right, go ahead. Give me what you uh, yeah. got. Well, he might have. Okay. Well, first of all, this does occur after she she starts out by going to Dr. Hill because a lot of her friends recommended him first. Yes. She goes to him and, and it's not it's not it's not portrayed in the movie that way because I watched I'm like, yeah, okay, that's, that's you know, what, you know, it's a little too quick and it doesn't really, it kind of glances over it too quick. In the book, she goes to Dr. Hill. She has blood work done. Dr. Hill tells her, or somebody who does the blood work says something looks weird about it. Oh, yeah. It freaks her out. It freaks her out. She tries to get back with Dr. Hill to find out about it and, uh, and, and she and for whatever reason I can't remember now why she she doesn't and that's whenever when she brings it up that she's worried that's whenever the cast of vets recommend Saperstein and you go down that rabbit hole but she started out with Hill and you know and I think the reason she didn't go back to Hill was because something was mentioned about the baby that that there might be something wrong with the baby and she was worried that you know that what he would tell her and so she puts off calling him back and by the time she calls him back he's moved on to other patients oh, I yeah. think is what happened in the novel so that's why she has to seek another doctor so I think that's how that goes out and not to mention they're gonna force her to Saperstein anyways. Yeah, yeah, and they're going to force her to Saperstein. Of course, Saperstein's on the payroll. I mean, he does, you know, like he's in with them, and they're, you know, uh, they're looking for year one, which is the year of the Antichrist, so they're all hoping for that'll happen. But um, let's see, let's uh, address some of the other stuff you're talking about. She uh, she does drink, that Saperstein does recommend that she drinks the cocktails from many, which has the tannis root and some other shit in there. And I do believe that that kind of helps poison her a little bit as far as like her, you know, getting weaker. But also with regards to that, um, I think that's kind of hinted at in the novel that the baby is leeching off of her life force, like way more than like a baby wouldn't, you know, because babies, I mean, you know, people want to make, you know, the extremely bad argument on some sides that they're kind of parasites to women. They are to a degree. Oh my God, are it's they? hard to get around that fact, <laughs> but but I mean, it's, you know, like it's, it, it's hinted at in the novel and especially in the scene, short, short little couple of scenes in the movie where she starts eating raw meat, that this baby's weird. It's like drawing too much from her. So she's having to resort to, she can't eat cooked food anymore because she needs like raw food to get like what she needs to replenish her body. So like it's the baby itself kind of like, you know, leeching off of what's left of her body. Um, the interesting thing about that was Mia Farrow was 98 pounds when she started this movie, which is nothing. Oh, like yeah. I heard, I read that and I'm like, what the hell? Roman Polanski asked her to lose weight for these scenes. Oh, so geez. She, and it shows. Yeah. Yeah. She is literally a skeleton. And I mean, some of that's makeup. I mean, you know, the black around the eyes, like oh, you yeah. said, make it look like guy punched her, which he probably did, but knowing how he is. But, um, she, I mean, she, you take somebody who's 98 pounds and they lose weight. I mean, the scale, I think the human skeleton weighs somewhere between like 75 and 80 pounds. So, I mean, she wasn't much more than a skeleton. She had nothing, at that and point. she's my height, which is short, but I think between like, I don't know, um, 101, and I have some weird number, 100 and pounds and 120 something pounds is what they ideally like to see me. And even that, when I'm that way, I'm super, super bony, skinny. So I'm like, nah, I'm going to keep kick it up a notch to like 130 or more. That's, it, it's, not, it's not overweight, but it's, um, in my opinion, healthy. I can't even imagine her being, like my height being 98 pounds. Oh, no. Yeah. At 120, yeah. I, look like, I look skeletal. 
and, and then they lose weight on top of that. Um, to answer your question about why she doesn't go after a, another, you know, like why she's not more at the doctor, she she is in the novel. Like, and and they hint at it in the movie, but they don't make it as blatant. She keeps going back to Saperstein a lot. Oh, okay. Because she's concerned. And he keeps because telling her it's okay. She's, yeah, she's she thinks she's losing the baby. She's like, this isn't right. I, I don't know what, you know, because he won't let her, he won't let her, let's reemphasize, he won't let her read books about pregnancy. Oh, yeah, I remember He will that. not let, he, w- he doesn't want her talking to any other women. So when she comes to him and she's like, this isn't right, I shouldn't be losing weight this early in pregnancy, he's like, oh, it's fine, you lose weight. And they even mentioned it in the scene with Hutch because she repeats what Saperstein said to Hutch. It's like, well, we'll lose a little bit in the beginning, but then I'll gain it on at the end. So Saperstein keeps telling her that. He keeps telling her the pain is fine. That, you know, that the pain will go away, that it'll go away soon, that it'll go away soon. He keeps repeating that. She keeps having worse and worse pains to the point where she don't think she can stand it anymore. And literally at the point in the in the novel, which is the point in the movie where it just stops, she's at the point where she literally can't deal with it anymore. Yeah. Like she can't do, she, she can't leave the apartment. She can't get up off the couch in the in particular scene. Uh, in the novel that kind of corresponds to that scene you're talking about in the movie where it just ends, she's laying there. She's bent over in pain. She's crying. She can't move because she hurts so bad. But she's done one thing different as a result of that party and some other stuff that she's decided on her own that's kind of hinted at in the movie but not really as explicit in the novel. She stops drinking Minnie's cocktail. Minnie brings it over. She dumps it down the sink. And the cake. She drinks a cup. Yes, and the cake. She stops eating it. She takes. She starts eating uh, a drink of her own. That's kind of weird, but she, you know, if it helps her, fine. It's a combination of eggs, milk. Um, she I she think puts it. Was in, she tells. Uh, uh, she tells. Uh, let's see. She tells Guy that she puts a little bit of sherry in there, and he gets all upset because he thinks now that the baby's going to die because she, you know, she's been drinking. <laughs> oh, sugar. Yeah, she put she puts sugar in there too to kind of sweeten it up. And she does better on that. Like, she feels better. The baby actually starts moving, and that's the scene that I wanted to bring up in the movie. Like, that, the pain ends because she started drinking this other drink that's actually healthy for her. I don't know. It might not be healthy for... Uh, I'm The only thing that they don't say in the novel, and I'm just wondering about this, is if the Tannis Root was bringing out more of the demonic part of, you know, and, you know Andrew Woodhouse or Adrian, if you want to be Roman's shitty name for him. Uh, and maybe that's why she was like having so much trouble with it. And when she starts drinking human food, that brings out the human side of the baby. I, it's not specified, he is but a that's kind of at the end of the day. You know, yeah. So I'm, but the drink works. Like she starts feeling better, and the pain goes away. You know, as you know, instantly when she thinks that she can't deal with it anymore. She even says, like in the novel, I think she's like. You, you have to stop this. You know, she's talking to, like, her, the baby. It's like, she, she you have to stop hurting me. This, uh, I, I, I want you to be healthy. I can't deal with this anymore. And it's like the baby complies, like, you know, gone. And it, it moves for the oh, first yeah. time. And, and she's like, it's and alive! That's the scene, and that's the scene I want. And she's happy for two reasons. Because, A, she thought she was losing it. And, B, because it's moving for the first time. And that's obviously a big thing for any mother. Uh, but the, the, the way guy reacts is the thing I want to focus on because he's scared to death. Like when he feels that baby moving, like he don't want to touch her stomach. He's like, he jerks away. He's like, you know, she's like, you don't have to be afraid. And you can tell in his eyes, like, yeah, he's afraid, but for a different reason you think mom. Yeah. And not only that, (laughs) but I mean, that's not his baby. Yeah. He knows that. that There's a huge disconnect. I mean, you cannot deny that. 
Yeah, and and he knows, and um, it's, but I just that that scene strikes me so much just because like he just the fear that he has in him, and and, and it's portrayed pretty well in the movie. Like he's got a look on his face, like oh God, get my hand away from that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah, you know, I mean, but that little that little demon is make, gonna make your dreams come true, <laughs> sir. So you better bow down. Um, uh, the only other one thing I want to say about all that because you brought it up. He has a right to be mad. Two things. He, I, I hate how he reacted about her having the party because he is a complete ass again about this because he calls all of her friends bitches. The fact that they wouldn't let her let him in there to hear oh, what yeah. they were talking about. And so he's a total douche about it. But he has a point. If you look at that apartment after they left, they've got some shitty friends. Oh, like yeah. That apartment was trashed <laughs> after all this. Like, cigarette butts all over the place, which is a whole other thing, watching it now. And, you know, she's pregnant. Everybody's smoking like, you know, a freight train inside that place. It's just like, it's, I mean, it's kind of funny, you know. It's like, okay, I guess that was fine back then. It was but, tore the fuck up um, after that party. But, yeah, I mean, he has reason to say this place is trash because it was. I mean, like, they, they've they got some shit friends is all Don't I agree say. with him. Don't No, you don't get to do that. Not on this podcast. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to agree with him. He, I mean, he was totally out of line to sit there and talk about how bad her friend call her friends bitches because they literally was trying to help her out. And, like, because his Snoopy, you know, he was he was literally wanting in that room to hear what they were saying so he could go back and report it back to Because he does this throughout the novel and oh, the film, yeah. both, if you notice. He leaves as soon as he hears anything of importance and and like rosemary thinks that he tells her excuse he's like i'm going out walking or whatever and in the novel like she looks out the window because she can see where the door's at you know from where she's at of where he would be leaving and he never comes out the you know the bottom entrance to the apartment uh you know complex so he literally just walks down the hall and is like hey roman you know guess what's happening now and like then you see many pop up out of nowhere so that's you know um he's just basically a big snoop for the the rest of them um but and and that's why he's so mad at her. But you know it's it's I don't know it. I see that scene and then I and I'm just and I and I'm just happy. It, it's just good for her, like in the novel, that the pain does end because she's literally at her wits end. She can't deal with it anymore. Yeah. And of course, during all this, you have Saperstein telling her a bunch of bullshit. Um, Hutch actually comes over during you know all this, and he remarks on how bad she looks. And he's actually the one person that kind of starts working on her a little bit to kind of say, "This ain't right. I don't care what this." You know, Saperstein's a good man. He you know he goes along with the whole thing, talking about how delivered his grandchildren and all that, which is like you said, compliment sandwich guy. You know, coming right in there, he's like, "Well, that sounds weird, but he does do a good job." You know. Um, and then, then he meets Roman for the first time, and then there's the whole remark about how Roman has the ear ring, or yeah, has the ear ring, and I thought that was kind of funny. Oh I yeah, like, well, I was laughing. I, I guess that's kind of weird for like old guys to have that back in the it's, time that this was made. Yeah, but like, especially you know, now, in that time. Who gives a shit? <laughs> um, and then you know they they bring up the Tannis root, and then that's whenever uh, Hutch you know decides he's going to look into it, and then Roman gets concerned. Because you know he's so interested in the tennis route, and that's when Guy pops up out of nowhere. It's like Roman went back to the apartment, called you know Guy up, and said, "You got to get off. You got to get the fuck back here. She's you know this guy's you know going to fuck everything up." Because it's it's 
I don't I don't remember if it's in the film as much, but in the novel they mention how he runs back to the apartment with his stage makeup still on, and he never does that because he always takes the time to clean himself up after the plays or you know whatever he's doing is over with, oh. and like he rushed immediately back. It's like he dropped everything just to rush back there. No, but it was definitely inferred that he rushed, and he's like, oh yeah, I, you know, work ended early or some kind of bullshit, and she's like, that's weird. You're never home around this time, you know. <laughs> and then there was the whole scene where um where Roman saw himself out whereas Rosemary always opened the door to let them out and things like that for the most part and he's like no 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 I got it and obviously that's where we know he definitely got Hutch's glove. Yeah, well, it, Guy was the one that got it. Uh, you know, Roman didn't take it because Roman didn't know about the coat. Oh, okay. Rosemary brings this up in the, Rosemary brings this up in the novel later on or something like that. It's more explicit in the novel, but like she says directly, she's like piecing everything together, kind of like you know, like I, I imagine like Sherlock Holmes mind castle. You know, like all these, you know, like that meme of Charlie Day with all the like the connected like you yes. know like pieces of yarn or whatever. Like she's like, wait a minute, like he. You know, uh, Roman didn't know about the coat, and he left early. But then, like, you know, Guy specifically went and got the coat for, for Hutch. So he had the coat. And so whenever the glove went missing, it would have been Guy that did it. Yeah, because he did and say, so too, she, I know, saw this in the closet. It's not mine, so it must be yours. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so Guy's the one that actually sells Hutch down the road. And then, of course, Hutch, you know, suffers the you know, same fate as Mrs. Gardenia did, you know. He drops into a coma and, you know, passes out of Rosemary's life. But before he does, he gives her that mysterious phone call. It's like, hey, we have to talk. Something's up. And then then he passes in the coma and she doesn't hear anything else uh, from him except for, you know, later at the funeral, his, like, female friend that he's, you know, that he was kind of having, an, well, not really an affair because he wasn't married, but, like, he, you know, kind of off and on relationship with. He had a good with. lady She's friend. Like, yeah, a good lady friend. Uh, she's like, here, he wanted you to have this book. And, and also, by the way, the last thing he said, because he literally, when he woke up, he thought it was the same day that he, he went into the coma, he said the name is an anagram, which plays, you know, real big into the movie, you know. Um, the the book is obviously all of them witches. Uh, they bring the Scrabble thing back in, which I think is brilliant, because it's been in the movie and in the book, they show a scene where, like, Rosemary and Guy are kind of having just this peaceful, you know, like, idyllic family, you know, uh, couple life where they're just kind of playing Scrabble together, you know, just kind of a, you know, everyday scene. And then later in the movie, it's like whenever she hears the name is an anagram, she just dumps all of the Scrabble tiles out, and she's, like, you know, spelling out, you know, like trying to flip around the words, all of them witches, and trying to see where the anagram comes in, you know, and all that. And I, it's a good callback, I think, oh, to, yeah. you know, the beginning. Um, an interesting thing about the uh, most of the book names, like whenever she tries to do the anagram for them, they spell a bunch of bullshit, so they don't really mean anything. But the one of them that she spells out said, comes the fall. And I oh, think yeah. that's an interesting, that's interesting, especially with Helter Skelter <laughs> and everything else, you know, outside of all that. But uh, comes the fall is an interesting, you know, considering what happens. Uh, I think that's kind of, you know, foreboding and foretelling a little bit. Uh, of course, the real reveal, you know, is Stephen Marcato, uh, son of Adrian Marcato, is actually Roman Castavet when you rearrange it. So, therefore, she learns that Roman's actually the son of the witch who supposedly summoned Satan into the reality in the Bramford. And uh, then she does some research about the devil's pepper fungus, which is what oh, Tannis yeah. really devil's is. Devil's pepper and... almost sounds like uh, <laughs> when you hear about the devil's lettuce. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And actually, that might be a comment on that because this was during the hippie movement. So, and they joked about being high be... in the film too. They joked about weed. Yeah, so there might be something to that. It might have been playing in on the whole cultural phenomenon that was going around at the time. 
Um, another, you know, piece of shit move by guys whenever, you know, Rosemary confides in the one person that she trusts most in the world. Of course, he's like, that book's bullshit. Hand it to me. Uh, and, you know, then he, like, throws it up on the bookcase where she would have to, like, strain to get to it. And then he's like, and then he throws it away. And, and that is such a shitty move because, I mean, he uses the argument that he doesn't want her, like, you know, whatever, that he doesn't want her anxiety levels up while she's pregnant. But that was the one item that her surrogate father gave to her upon his deathbed, and the son of a bitch threw it away. Yeah, and then he just says, I wasn't thinking about him. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about it. I don't know how you could forgive. I mean, there's nothing you forgive about Guy anyways, but I'm just saying that's one more just, you know, damning piece of thing because I, I don't care. Uh, you have to be a very inconsiderate person to sit there and say, I, okay, I know this person, you know, was a fa- father figure to you, and I know he died, and, you know, you heard about it, and this is the one thing he entrusted to you upon his deathbed, but shit, I just got rid of it. I don't care, you know. Oh, oh well. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's whenever she, you know, things kind of ramp up at this point in the movie. Like, she starts, like, piecing stuff together. She's When uh, when Guy throws the book away, he inadvertently, you know, kind of tips his hand to Rosemary because without the book, she has to go out and research the, you know, witchcraft stuff on her own. And that's whenever she actually discovers information that's beneficial to her. She learns about the Devil's Mark. She learns about how baby's blood is used during a lot of rituals, during Sabbaths for, like, Satanists. It's to help witches fly. Yeah, as we've discussed (laughs) previously in the Vivage. Uh, And and that's what concerns her. She doesn't, at one point in the novel, up until the point when she walks up on that bassinet with the upside-down cross and sees Andrew for the first time, she never once thinks that the baby's a problem. Oh, yeah. She thinks they're trying to to kill her baby. She thinks they're trying to, you know, breed her. Uh, raise the baby up to the point that it's born, and then gut it so they can use it for whatever they're doing. And and she's got that's that motherly what, that's instinct. Why, yeah, and and that's why you know she she initially goes to Saperstein about it because she still trusts him. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking, and she's big mistake. And she's like, I'm going to tell him all about it. And she's sitting there in the reception. This is like. Did you use a different cologne today, Mrs. You know Woodhouse? And she's like, Yeah, yeah. Uh, I decided I didn't like that. You know, because she throw, there's a scene where she just throws away the, you know, the the charm and lets it go down a sewer grate, and um, and then she's like, Yeah, I used a different one, but you know, I, I didn't like to smell that other one. She's like, Well, I didn't realize it. I thought it was a cologne at first that you were wearing instead of a, you know, because she didn't realize it was a charm that was causing it. Because she's like, Doctor Saperstein smells like that too, and that's whenever Rosemary's like, Oh shit, he's in on it as well you know but, like that's I mean, whenever she makes that connection on. look at <laughs> he was recommended by fucking Minnie and Roman okay and I mean I guess maybe because Hutch but, gave but his piece Hutch Hutch yet again Hutch doomed her. he was the, he was the Hutch was both the prophet of doom and and he was also the bringer of doom because the things he said doomed her like it, it, and it's sad because he meant well, yeah. but again, the other intent, the other way you can define that is the road to hell is, you know, paved with good intentions. He meant well, but they backfired and they actually sent her down the wrong path. I don't know. Um, it was just the whole, you know, just the fact that Minnie and Roman were involved was big for me. It was like, okay, yeah, Hutch sounds like he knows a little bit about him. All my, you know, grandchildren were born through there, but I mean, through him, but I don't know. That was just me. Maybe it's because you just kind of know. Also, you're a viewer, so you kind of get to see. I don't know. 
Well, there's that, and I mean, I don't know. You got to remember. You also got to contextualize it too at the time period. I mean, it's 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 making that commentary again, not beating you over the head with it. It's subtle. It's in the background. I mean, all these male figures in her life, the male doctor, her, you know, her surrogate father, you know, unintentionally, of course, guy being a complete version of an asshole and then of Roman and then many kind of like, you know, aiding in this. I mean, they were all basically, it's like, don't trust your feminine instincts, you know, kind of like, you know, poo-pooing women, you know, it's like guys know best, you know, it, it it's all of that, you know, because you, you are talking about the, the, the feminine, you know, empowerment movement and that sort of thing going on at the same time. So, I mean, it's kind of a, you know, a play on that. It's like even the, you know, you can't even trust the male doctors because they act like they know more about a female's, you know, body and system than they do, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, which I... <laughs> I don't know. That's a whole. That's a whole different topic. <laughs> um, and that's not to say that male doctors can't, because I mean they're you know they're trained, but it's just you know there there is the argument. It's like you know somebody telling you something, and you know you know just your gut feelings that they're wrong about something. I mean there are such things as motherly instincts, like you said, and you know I don't know. You know I feel I just... feel the total opposite about male doctors. I specifically chose male doctors throughout my pregnancy because I feel like. I've had this where women doctors are just like, mm, it's really not that painful. I went through it. And it wasn't that bad for me. I think you're just being whiny about it. You know, they don't well, say that, but that's how it feels. <laughs> well, there is that to be said about it. And that's a whole other argument for another day about how, you know, um, guys, uh, I guess white knighting, if you want to call it that, tends to uh, <laughs> actually be, uh, I it's, it's a little bit better, you know, to have, you know, that kind of person and, you know, kind of supporting you because they, they're giving you support because they don't know the situation and they, you know, maybe a little still more playing upon <laughs> a little bit more empathetic because that, you know, the white knight syndrome kicks in and they're like, oh, it's, it's a poor defenseless woman, you know, hate to put it that way, but that's kind of where it comes from. And it's like, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm the man I've got to, you know, like make them feel better about this. Whereas the woman's just like, no bullshit. It's like toughen up, bitch, you know, exactly. it's that bad, you know, it's and 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 it's also the reason why female serial killers are more successful than males is because guys can't seem to wrap around their head that women can do anything like that because that's oh, a poor defenseless woman. They would never think about, you know, gutting a man from, you know, balls to throat, you know, but it, it happens. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. It works out both ways. It's just I, I think there was this kind of a play there in the background, though, just talking about how, you know, the guys in her life just let her down because, you know, I mean, not it's not so cut and dry, and as and as the CW would make it, where guys bad, you know, female empowerment, yeah, rah rah rah. But it's kind of just like showing that the uh, I guess the male, you know, dominant structure kind of you know let Rosemary fall through the cracks because they refused to listen to her basically yeah. input through any of it. She is never what it had any to. say. She never had any input. She didn't stand up for herself. There was one scene which we'll move on to right now where she did try to get away briefly. And Dr. Hill put the kibosh on that. The, the only person she thought she could trust. She can't trust her husband no more. She Her neighbors are sent off, you know, uh, according yeah, to Dr. Saperstein. Yeah, because uh, Sa yeah, Saperstein, way before this, comes up with this when she tells him that she's no longer drinking the cocktail. Then he finally admits, well, vitamins are okay, I guess, I'll if get you, you have some pills. Have them, you know. Yeah, and then, you know, and then he's like, and by the way, Roman's dying, you know, trying to play. And I think that's like a shitty play on, yeah. like, you know, like, the whole, you know, like, I guess, feminine, like, you know, empathy and that sort of thing where it's like, well, if I tell you this bastard, you know, that you think is, you know, out to kill your baby is dying, then you'll feel bad for him, you know, that sort of thing. But 
so they supposedly leave town. You're right. And so she really doesn't have, and of course she's still estranged from her family. Like even her older brother's the only one who will talk to her in the novel won't return her phone calls at this point. So she's literally on her own. Um, so, and it's interesting. I just want to bring up that scene where she's in the phone booth and she's oh calling God. Dr. Hill. Yeah. Um, a little bit of trivia. That guy that's standing outside the phone booth is uh, William Castle, the producer, that schlock, you know, B-movie director. He, uh, again, he wanted to direct this movie, but uh, uh, Robert Evans, uh, the, the other producer, knew that he was too schlocky of a director to actually do this movie the right way. So <laughs> he, wow. uh, he, uh, he kind of shut him down on all that. But um, anyways, uh, so but it's just a neat little bit of trivia that they just literally had, uh, you know, had him William Castle standing outside the booth. He's that old man that's just kind of waiting there for her to get off the phone and do her business and get the hell out of there. Um, but then on that scene, same scene, she's like calling Doctor Hill and he's all pissed off. He's like, you know, I just got through, and I can I can be empathetic to this guy in this scene because like he's literally getting a phone call from a lady who sounds like she's crazy. He's just been doing whatever he does as OBGYN, probably delivered a bunch of babies. He's probably dead on his feet. He just wants to take a fucking nap and she won't leave him alone. Yeah. <laughs> So he's like, all right, fine, let me nap, and then I'll meet up with you later, and then we'll discuss this, but I got to sleep first. And she's like, fine, and then she leaves. And there's a scene where she like is so distraught, she walks across, across traffic. And I've got to bring this scene up because this really happened in real life. That, this is real. Roman Polanski, literally, because they had built the prosthetic for Mia Farrow, because at this point she's actually gained weight. You know, she's on the other side of the pregnancy where she's no longer being cannibalized. And he looks at her and, and she's like, I don't think I can walk across real New York traffic because this is like one of the few scenes they actually shoot outside. And it's right after the scene. Because, and, and another thing, I got to go back. The phone booth scene is the very first scene that she filmed for the movie, period, which is amazing to me because. She, the only thing she had to go by as far as her character's motivations was the novel. She said if it hadn't been for the novel and how well it was written, she would have never been able to do that scene because she literally was picking up Rosemary from the end of her journey without ever having done any of the stuff leading up to it. Just kind of a little bit of trivia there. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it, she's so distraught and she's so into it, and that's literally the first, out of nowhere, that's the first thing she's got to film. Because they, they had only like a few days to film in New York and the budget was like skyrocketing and they had to like just do what they could. But anyway, she has this scene where she walks across the road and she's like, I can't just walk out in traffic. And Roman Plansky's like, yeah, you can. And she's like, what are you talking about? He's like, listen, he said, there's nobody that's going to run over a pregnant woman. Oh just my trust God. me. And, and because nobody else would film it because they thought he was an insane person, he grabbed the camera himself and he filmed her as she walked across real New York traffic and all those people that stop screeching their, you know, right in front of her and honking their horns are real New York drivers. Jesus that is Christ. Not, that's not put on. It that makes is a real sense, thing. though, because it looked hella real. <laughs> and it's just crazy that... that and she says it. She's like, he's the only person who can convince me to do that. Oh, my and God. And she said that... <laughs> but that happens. Um, so with that bit of knowledge, anyways, like after that scene, of course, she meets up with Dr. Hill and, and you can speak to this, uh, you know, what your thoughts are. I brought it up because uh, we were talking about this earlier. I, I hate Dr. Hill. I think he's as bad or worse than Saperstein because he, he turns her over to the people who 
that she has professed to being like her enemies. Now, granted, I know he's trying to do his best to take care of her and the baby both, and, and there's some empathy I have to that. But if you have the idea that her husband might be complicit in maybe some abuse, you don't turn her over to her husband. I don't know how – I can't argue that for him. I, I can't def- – like you said, there's no really defending guy. There's no defending Hill in that in, – to my mind in that sense. No, there's no defending either one of them. But this wasn't very long from back when men were able to – basically men owned their wives. And it wasn't like a arranged marriage type of deal. It was where once you married, basically you were basically like their property. So not very – okay, what is I – can, I can't brain right now probably because I've had one of these. What is that procedure called? Basically the ice pick to the brain? Oh, you're talking about a lobotomy? A lobotomy. What time era was that? Uh, they actually did those very close around the time that this movie was being made. I think they only stopped maybe shortly before this because uh, the you know the theory was is that that they were that the only thing that stopped it was that there was the first real antidepressant. I think Prozac came out around this time and it was so effective that they decided that lobotomies were too you know it's like well we don't have to do this barbaric thing that that yeah. leaves some people like drooling incontinent messes you know uh, sometimes it worked perfectly fine or a lot of times it didn't that's why they were doing it but then sometimes you were basically a walking zombie after that point and then whenever Prozac came out they were like it does as well and it doesn't give you and even in the bad side effects it has it doesn't do that so let's stop doing lobotomies so it was around this time well and the reason I bring this up interesting fact is that because okay so this was roughly the 1950s that lobotomies kind of started and they carried on for quite a while before the doctor got in some big trouble but this was the time era where men if their wives were acting erratically and when I say erratically I say maybe talking back to their husbands um, masturbation was considered erratic um, being overly sexualized uh, just all these things that are Pretty standard for women nowadays. Uh, oh God, heavy menstruation. Those things could you could take your wife to an insane asylum. I am not joking, and you can have her committed, where they might, depending on how she's acting while she's being restrained in this strange place away from her family, they would probably do a lobotomy on them. So, in this sense. He was actually doing our kindness. Yes, but no. Yes, no. I'm going to go with no because the men had, like, the final say in their wives, so in their care. So it was like, okay, she's crazy. Turn her over to the person in charge, which is the husband. Now, this is 1960, uh, why can't I? 1968. Technically, this film was probably filmed in 1967, maybe. So yeah, it was filled in 67, off, I think. So it's not like the, it's not like in the sense that things had changed a little bit in this time. You couldn't just take your wife to an insane asylum, but there was still that whole the man is the protector. The man will know what's best and he'll get this handled the way it should get handled. Whereas nowadays it's like, you're right. It would be like, okay, we're going to keep him out of the equation. Something's going on. We're going to get the police involved. Um, We're going to find out if there's anybody that she can go to. It's completely different now. So... In the movie, it's annoying, but it makes sense. It's like, no, you contacted the husband. I'll grant you that. I'm, I'm looking at it from like a modern point of view, and that's something that aggravates me about what other people do whenever they cast down other people's decisions in the past, whenever they don't know the context of what they're dealing with. And I'll agree with you. In the context of the time they were living in and what had gone on without like, you know, the way that, 
things, you know, the way that things are done now, it, it does make more sense. And it's not, and, and, you know, it's not as bad given what, you know, his decision to do that versus, you know, like how, how it looks now versus how it would have, you know, actually, you know, you can't really put yourself in his shoes because he didn't have the knowledge, I guess, of what, you know, like, things would become yeah he only on, knew what so. was right in those times and look at this just a, a tale of women who think they're being oppressed in america today in today's society look what women had to deal with in the past is all i'm saying that, you had true. to have I the mean, devil's good... baby <laughs> <laughs> there's a uh, one little bit of trivia that goes along with this and she's bringing up lobotomies and all that um weird little uh thing that that uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the, actually the Greek word for a uterus was uh, hysteria, I believe. And that's where we get hysteria and hysterical is from the feminine like uterus because they used to think that when women are acting crazy, it was because of their uterus. That's terrible, but it's the truth. So we got the word hysterical when you're acting hysterical because it's like a feminine, you're acting crazy because you have a uterus and that makes you crazy. So I don't know. Did you hear? Did you hear my part about when I was talking about the origin of the word hysteria? Hysteria. Did yes, in the uterus. Oh. Yeah, I just it's just such a I don't know. It's just it's it's shitty, but that's literally where hysterical comes from. So, anyways, I just thought that was a you know weird little thing to kind of tie into the fact that when guys could have their wives lobotomized and all that. Oh yeah, and I've read about that too, and that was a big thing for basic, not that word specifically, but. Things that could happen to your body because of owning a uterus and how it affects you, a.k.a. menstruation and stuff, those were things that condemned women as witches, too. Not even joking. So <laughs> it's like I, I'm not surprised when I hear these kind of – I mean, it, it it terrifies me to think had I lived in those times, that would be pretty fucking horrific. I mean, with my attitude, I'm not going to live very long. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, they uh, obviously they didn't appreciate women that wasn't accommodating, so that's kind of where that goes. Oh yeah. So anyway, so yeah, he turns her into the authorities, if you will. Yeah, and they they take her back to the apartment, and that's one of the few scenes in the actual movie. You know, I, I talked about how the novel has some scenes where she has some more agency to you know her you know her own actions, but it's the one scene in the movie that actually translates from the book is where she tries to make an escape. She kind and oh, it's yeah. actually and it's it's pretty smart. It's like you know it's 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 smart like how you know like uh, feminine thinking. I think you know it's like how how do I get these guys to play on you know the kind of their white knight you know like I got you know the thing and it's like oh let me dump my purse and they'll all bend over you know being you know the white knight thing to you know kind of pick it up and then I can get the hell out of here. So and that's what she does. And uh, it would work, except for the fact that when she gets back to the apartment and she locks herself in, she doesn't realize that they have a back door into the place. Yes, which, by the way, did you fucking see them tiptoeing in the background? I did not. I, I I was looking for that, and I must have missed it. I was like, "Where where did they come in? Where's the? I, I'm I'm missing it. Where it, I, that would have been creepy." No, to see it was them. just when they were creeping past the doorway. You could see them right behind her. They couldn't have done it in a more cartoonish way where you see people lifting their leg up super high <laughs> as they're tiptoeing past. And my daughter and I just started laughing so hard. I I don't remember that from when I watched it as a kid, but I was laughing so hard I was crying. That, that reminds me of like Sco that's like Scooby Doo or something. It's like you know we got exactly. Shaggy Shaggy lifting his feet trying to sneak away from whatever the monster is. You know, like that's really going to help. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it was. I couldn't have described it any better. Um, you literally, because it's in what the last what maybe twenty twenty five minutes of the film. 
Yeah. Find that scene where she finally gets into her apartment, locks herself in. She takes that sigh of relief. And in the background, you see, you might as well have heard, dun, 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 you know? It was so, fucking hilarious, though. Yeah, that happened. So we go from that into the final act of the movie, which is fairly short compared to the, you know, like the, the biggest part of the movie, you're right, is like the pregnancy. It like goes on forever. A lot of her being skeletal and all that. But like you, you got the final act of the movie where it's basically her being drugged um, and being lied to about her child. And then, you know, then she, and then of course the her seeing her child. And that's, that's basically how that plays out. I thought <clears throat> personally that, uh, I don't know. It, it's it's really hard to watch. You know them sitting there, and you know you got Saperstein lying to her face, telling her the baby died. And and I'm and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but when she first wakes up, she asks Guy if the baby's okay, and he says, "Yeah, it's fine. It, it's 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 okay." And then later, when Saperstein comes back, he says it dies, and then the Guy's like, "Yeah, yeah, it's dead." Am I wrong in that? Or yeah. Is, is that what happens? No, that's exactly what happened. Because I was like, okay, but I mean, it didn't. <laughs> It didn't not make sense because SIDS, one minute yeah. a baby's okay, and then one minute they, they're di- they died. <laughs> they're died. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that can happen. But obviously, in this scene, it didn't seem like either one of them were very good liars. No, and, and I don't think they cared because they were keeping her so doped up with whatever uh, diazepam or whatever it was that Saperstein was pumping into her at the time to keep her sedated that uh, they didn't really feel like they needed to, you know, give her any good excuse. And then you got Laura Louise who keeps coming in there and milking her, which, knowing what I know, I mean, and this was in the novel, so I can't really fault them, but they're sitting there and they're pumping her full of these benzodiazepines or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that they're sedating her with. That shit gets mm-hmm. in the breast milk. I they 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 get upset because she drops what is like you know like she's been eating with a spoon and she's like okay if you're throwing away the milk like you say you know Laura Louise and I'm just going to throw this uh, spoon in you know the milk and Laura Louise gives her a look like you stupid bitch you just tainted the milk yeah. you know but the milk would have been tainted anyways they're feeding this baby like benzo milk or whatever it's kind of like the baby's going to be addicted to whatever shit they're giving her i mean that's just a little bit of you know like real life logic that i couldn't help but think about but you know it's that's what went through my mind when i was watching that scene it's the devil's baby so the, the only thing i want to make comment is just that I, I i see them like you know feed that you know they, they keep her doped up but then they're feeding the, the milk to the baby and i'm just sitting there you know like not knowing what i know about medicine it's just like they're, they're doping the baby. What the fuck are these people doing? You know, it's like. Yeah, I mean, and by that logic, okay, so yes, they, they, ha- they have a doped up baby. Okay, that's great. Um, So, okay, it's the devil's baby. Maybe they're not worried about the drugs, but they're worried about a tainted spoon. <laughs> well, the spoon was silver, so, and she did make a point. Oh, yeah, they, they did, I didn't think that, about that. They did make a point earlier in the film that all the silver was uh, not being used in the apartment over at Minnie and Roman's. Like, it was all, like, shitty, you know, like, well, plates that I would consider, like, regular plates that I would use at the house. But, like, the fine silver was not being used. So, maybe the the whole thing about pure silver versus evil, maybe that plays into it. Didn't, wasn't the necklace, what was the necklace made out of? I thought that was silver. Uh, they didn't really say. I'm, in the movie, it didn't really look like a silver. Uh, well, I mean, they might have said it was a silver, but it, it didn't really look like a bright, shiny silver to me. It was like, it was really... Yeah, no. Uh, I don't know. It looked a little too tarnished to me to be like pure silver. There had to be like something else in it, but... 
Okay. Okay. Whatever. Well, that's probably me. You know, <laughs> that's me making up things, but you know, I, it it fits in my You're mind. You're right, though. So. It did look. Um, there's a silver I'm thinking of that doesn't look like pure shiny silver. Like it's not platinum, and I can't think of it right now. But it could be. But still, in my opinion, it's still silver. Um, hold on. I'm. I have to Google this because it's gonna bother me. It could be like the whole thing in a. You know, like people like to make fun of gremlins about the whole thing. Uh, you know, you don't feed them after midnight, and it's like, well, it's always midnight somewhere, so don't feed them ever. Is that what you're basically saying? You know, making fun of the logic behind it. You know, don't really delve too deeply in the whole silver. You know, is you know works against pure evil unless it's this one type of silver that's. No, I th- <laughs> I think you're right. I just think that perhaps maybe they missed something with that necklace because if she's wearing a silver necklace, I feel like that's like splashing holy water on her. I'm sure that would affect her too. Well, she was wearing it when she was sickest, so maybe there's something to that. Hmm. You know. Yeah. Um. I mean, maybe it weakened her, but then would it weaken the baby? See, I have too many questions. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it, the silver in the spoon probably doesn't matter at all. I think it was just Laura Louise getting mad because she had, like, you know, her mouth germs had got on. It was the main thing that was kind of hinted at. But I just thought that, you know, it was interesting. Like, that, like bitch, a... her titty germs are on there. Come on. <laughs> you know what moms do when pacifiers drop? We pick them up and we clean them with our yeah, dirty whore mouths but and then s- put it in the baby's mouth. <laughs> but you got to remember, Roman makes a comment later, uh, which is what we're getting to, whenever he talks about how bad Laura Louise is at raising children that like she doesn't know oh, shit about them so i could see somebody yeah. who doesn't know anything about children be like don't touch that you know your nasty mouth germs even though like mouth germs from a mother to a child would actually be in theory a good thing because you know there are antibodies that are passed between mother and child but anyways regardless of all that um so you got all the scenes where and then rosemary again shows some agency to herself she starts saving back the pills she stops taking them and like saves them in those uh bricks that i was talking about in the headboard and like yeah. in between them and like she saves up enough to where and i thought this was pretty smart on her behalf she like just crushes them up and puts them in a drink and is like hey laura louise come drink with me and like you know and then it causes her to like pass and that, out was that in the book uh that was in the book actually oh okay i was like i don't remember that in the movie uh, well, I don't, I don't yeah. know if they, I don't know if they, they do say in the movie, she does like knock the per, she does like use it on the person that's watching over, but I don't think they draw it out as much as they do in the book. In the book, it's almost like, I kind of was reminded of the scene from like a little bit of misery a little bit because you know how like, you know, she, she keeps, uh, you know, hint the author like, you know, tied down the bed and she keeps him like, you know, he can't move and all that and kind of keeps him there. And I, I, and he's, and it's just like his daily hell of like, you know, in and out of consciousness dealing with her crazy ass. That's kind of what I got the scenes from in this because it's a similar situation it's like rosemary's just in and out like she don't know what day it is she randomly hears like some baby crying in another room and she thinks it's her baby but she could be mistaken because she's also so you know she's going through all that she's going through because they just told her her child died so she could just be hearing things and uh yeah i mean and such a lot going on okay it's one thing to read it in a book but also in the movie there was a lot going on in a small span of time yeah, they don't give any time to this. and I mean, it's like literally it's like bump, 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 and it's like the movie's over with. Like it, it goes from really ramping up around the time that she confronts, you know, or goes to Hill to, you know, and like is freaking out about, freaking out about the coven to like, you know, a few scenes of this and then like the next few scenes where she grabs the knife, goes in the next apartment, and then, you know, what, what she sees there. But um, 
The only thing I want to bring up about the end, the part with the coven, because we're right at the end of the movie anyways, and we'll bring this up. Of course, she does find out she can go through the doorway. That's how they made their way into the room. And that's, you know, why the Which doorway Which is through was the closet. Through the closet. And that's why she, the closet was covered up at the beginning of the movie, kind of hinting, going back to that, you know, for, you know, foretelling scene. But she, like, she makes her way into the apartment. I... I, I thought it was kind of humorous, and, and Polanski said that he did intend for, like, the Satanists to be comical because he, he thought they were goofy anyways, and he wanted to make them seem like they were idiots. <laughs> but, like, she, she just walks in there with a knife, and they all just look at her like, what? Like, none of them moves to, like, do anything about it. They're just like, you know, uh, let's, what's going on now? You know, I'm I'm just enjoying my cognac and, you know, and and uh, drinking my, you know, cigars or whatever, and I, I'm not going to be bothered to get up and take care of this crazy woman in a nightgown and a butcher knife, you know, who cares? And one random person in the background screams. Yeah, somebody screams. It might be, and then, then she keeps saying, um, when she realize, when she sees the baby, she keeps saying, oh God, oh God, oh God, and then there's that great line from Laura Louise, it's like, shut up, bitch, or I'll kill you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then... And then you have, and, and this, and this was in the book too, and it was in the movie, and I can't help but comment on it. The Japanese guy out of nowhere that has to take pictures of everything. Yes, that was hilarious. It's hilarious. It's, there, you, you have to say it's slightly racist, but I mean, there, it's a stereotype that, I mean, it, it happens, so I can't really fault him for showing that, but it's just kind of like, you know, that's, you know, that's weird that the, that's the only con- contribution that, that Asian actor has to the whole movie. It's like, let me take a picture. And the way you. he, like, yeah, he just gestures. He's just like, uh, he's like, camera, baby, you, <laughs> click, click. And I'm like, what the, f- what? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just out of nowhere. And then, you know, of course, we discussed the scene already where, you know, Rosemary drops a knife. And then, you know, that actress just out of nowhere improvs. She goes over <laughs> and wipes up the little chip that's in the floor. And uh, that was fucking hilarious. And then we, we get the scene where Rosemary kind of bonds with her baby. She's like, you know, you're rocking him the wrong way, and uh, I know best. And Laura yeah, because fucking Laura, Laura Louise is just like fucking rocking that baby <laughs> to fucking hell, dude. Yeah, she's like, she's like, don't tell me what to do. I'm raising this baby. And she's like, no, you're not. And then like Roman's like, no, you're not, Laura Louise. Get the hell out of here. Let the mother take over. Yeah. The one thing that I miss from the novel that's not in the movie is the fact that at this point in the novel, um. Roman gets chastised very severely by Ro- Rosemary, and she kind of gets her comeuppance against him because he, at this point in the in the film, he acts like the you know the cock of the walk. I mean, like he is, I mean, like you know he's leading everything. Finally, everything came to fruition, just like he said. He proving why he's the leader of the coven, and you know it's year one, and Adrian's going to be the you know the new leader, and. And, like, that's when Rosemary says, no, his name's Andrew, and, you know, stop calling him that. And she says that, yeah. I think, maybe in the film. I, I kind of confused the two of them at this point. But in the book, like, she emphasized, he starts, like, raising a fit over it. He's like, shut up, you're not going to tell, it's, it's Adrian, it has to be Adrian. And she says, no, it's not, and it'll never be. And, like, Minnie even stands up, and she's like, shut up, Roman, it's Andrew, It's it's and just, you're you're done. And like it's it's just like a good scene for Rosemary because it's like she shoves it back in his face like no I'm the mother I'm gonna call the shots from here on out it's Andrew Woodhouse and I'm gonna be the one that you know that that chooses his name not you and it, and it's like he gets put in yeah. his place yeah and I I don't know that that's exactly what happened in the film but I knew there is one part where they're like nope. She's the mother, and I know that happens between Laura Louise and Roman, but yeah, she does. She she's 
Like, she gets her place set. I want to say Minnie is the one, like, let her be herself, let her do her thing. Basically, like I said, I'm not saying this verbatim. So I'm questioning now, yes, did that happen in the film almost exactly like that? I think it did. They hint at it. I don't think they go the full way with it. The one thing, there's another thing, too, that the novel does this time that's a little bit different than the movie. It, it, of course, it's to- totally from Rosemary's perspective, so you're getting to see inside her head. She is debating when she first sees, uh, well, two things here. First of all, the baby is shown in the novel, and he does have two nubby little horns on his head. He's got cloven feet. Uh, that's why there's a scene, you know, that's kind of hinted at where Laura Louise is like hinting booties and like, you know, and Rosemary says, oh, yeah. there's some odd looking booties. And it's like <laughs> Laura Louise is laughing because she knows what they're for. And um, and so he's got that. He's got like a prehensive tail kind of thing going on. And he's got like like yellow lizard eyes is what I think it describes it in the novel, like, you know, slits, basically. And well, that's they what- show that in the film with that what I assume is the devil. Yeah, the devil and has those eyes. And she flashes back to yeah. that. Which, this baby, you know what this baby sounds like? Kind of sounds like Hellboy if you want to know my opinion on it, but... Well, yeah, but I was thinking little baby Black Phillip. <laughs> with, with his little black hooves and the, and the cute little booties. Oh yeah. my God, that would be so adorable. Yeah, except, well, she does describe that he's got like uh, the her like brother's chin, so she sees like a family resemblance in the face. So there is that, you know, she does have like Rosemary's features, or I mean, he does have Rosemary's features as far as, so he's got a human looking face, and he looks like a human baby when his eyes are closed, is what she, you know, says oh, in the yeah. novel. It's just when he opens his eyes up, it's like, okay, that he's definitely the devil's baby. Uh, He's got but that, really cool eyes. Don't be so judgy, Rosemary. Well, Dang. She, no, she she changes her tune. Like she's like, well, your eyes aren't that bad. They're actually cute in a weird sort of way. She actually says that. So, I mean, she yeah. gets to that point. Um, but there's two things. When when she first sees the baby, she contemplates for a split second about grabbing it and jumping because it's right in the novel. It's right in front of the window. So she thinks about doing oh, yeah. what Terry does. She thinks about grabbing the baby and jumping out the window and killing both of them. And she thinks about it for a split second, and then she stops, and that's whenever, you know, the scene where she's kind of watching Laura Louise do her thing because they, they, they have her step away for a second. And then when she finally comes around to where she decides that the baby, you know, she, you know, like I said, she's, you know, thinks the eyes are cute, and she kind of gets to the point where she actually does like the baby. She kind of comes to another conclusion. When she stands up to Roman, she's not standing up to him in the novel just to, like, put him down, you know, like, you know, make him look bad in front of the coven. She plans to defy the coven in the novel. She's, set, she's got the plan that she's going to raise him, but not the way the coven wants. She's going to raise him to be a good person. That's her whole reason Uh-oh. that she keeps him alive. And I think that's an interesting, you know, it's like, you know, the whole, I mean, bring up the whole discussion about uh, nature versus nurture and all that. Can you take this Nephilim and actually make him into a good person? You know, and with a good mother by his side, he possibly can be. And that's what she thinks. And that's why she decides that she's going to raise him. But that she's going to raise him outside the rope. The, she plans on taking him and escaping from the coven at some point. It just never says that. I mean, she never gets to that point in the novel. She just, that's her plan. So, and she plans on getting away from Guy as well because she's done with him at that point. She even, like, you know, in the movie, she spits in his face. She's like, you know, get out here, you fucking cuck. You're not even the father. You know, get away from me. Um, And so I I think that's interesting that the novel has that. The movie doesn't, but that's because we we go back to what Polanski wanted. He wanted you to question whether there was anything actually different about the baby. 
I mean, we don't ever see it. So, I mean, Rosemary thinks that it looks weird, but Rosemary's also just came off of drugs. I mean, she's, you know, just had the baby, got all those, you know, messed up hormones. I mean, she might be seeing things. So, and we, yeah, and my- I think like, I don't know, like, I let's say that baby did look like the devil. Um, if you're the mom, I don't know. It's so weird. I mean, thankfully, I've never had any children that look like the devil. They act like the devil, so that's a whole different thing. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I could see it's the, she put this out very well that your motherly instincts kick in, kind of no matter what. And she's just like well, you could see the the calmness come over her face, like oh, that's my little baby. Like, and in the book, like you said, like oh, her that's his eyes aren't that bad, you know. <laughs> It was like she came to that realization. So I don't know that that could make sense to me. Yeah, and I mean it's 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 left ambiguous in the movie, you know, for a reason. Plansky had that, you know, in his mind, and I and I think that final scene in the movie, just going back to it to give it its props, the scene where she's sitting there and she's looking over it, and then of course they start saying all the stuff like hell, Rosemary, hell, hell, Andrew, hell, you know, Satan, and all that stuff, and then the lullaby starts playing in the background. That is an extremely creepy scene. Like, it, oh it's, yeah, it's uh, it's what sells the movie because it's basically it's like. In the movie, it's portrayed. I mean, if you want to go the route that there's nothing wrong with the baby, then fine. But if you want to believe the other thing that there that it is the son of Satan, because she, you know, all the things that happened to her, it looks like she's complicit and she's agreeing to basically become the mother to the Antichrist. And you know, it's like and and damning humanity in the process is kind of what I got from it as far as the vibe goes. I feel like she's gonna be okay. Like she's gonna be taken care of. Yeah, well, I mean, like you cannot, you cannot fuck with the mother of the ba- of the devil, you well, know. And and the coven, the devil child, and the coven gives the hint that they wouldn't like, you know, the, the the reverence that the Japanese guy gives her, the the one guy that's visiting from like Rome or wherever he's from, you know, the the one that's got the the uh, I I don't know what accent it was, but he, you know, he's like a visitor to them. Like they all like, is this the mother? Like they're all giving a reference, you know, reverence, kind of like you know. Kind of like Mother Mary in the Catholic, you know, church. It's it's like you got oh, yeah. you know, it, it's it, she's the mother of the of the chosen one, basically. Even to Guy, he was like, "You must be so proud." So, he didn't have anything to do with that shit. Let's be well. I guess he had a little bit. Well, he drugged her, so he had that to go on. But I mean, he had to give his wife up. So, I mean. I guess if you were to look at that as a reverse parable, I mean, from like the birth of Christ, I mean. He is probably the anti-Joseph in all the ways and shapes and forms you could be an anti-Joseph. I mean, like he, you know, his wife turns up pregnant, uh, you know, like Christ, you know, it's like she turns up pregnant and Joseph's, you know, caring enough and he accepts it and he takes, you know, he's like, we'll deal with it. You know, it's fine. And, you know, I believe you. And he's, you know, the caring father, whereas guys like, I saw, I was the one that caused you to get raped and now I'm going to treat you like shit. You know, it's like, it's the complete opposite, you know, it's like, yeah. It's just a, it's a weird twist on that whole thing. Oh um, man! Well, we but, made it to the end. Well, that is the end of that. Uh, the film had a budget of three point two million and made thirty three million, so I would say that's a success. Holy shit! <laughs> and three point two million back then is a lot of money. It was, but uh, that and and not well, as much as thirty three million though. No, and uh, that that's after uh, you know there were several times during the movie that. Polanski thought he was going to get fired because honestly he was coming he was too slow at the beginning of it as far as his filming the budget was going out of uh, out of you know just 
sky high and then uh robert you know evans or whatever came to him and was basically like you got to get on the ball here or we're, we're going to be in trouble so he sped plansky up and got him back within range but you know yeah they they had to struggle to get this movie made and especially with everything that went on with you know frank sinatra divorcing you know mia farrow in the middle of all this and everything else um Ruth Gordon, who played Minnie, actually won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. She's the only, of all the people in the movie, she's the one that got the Academy oh, Award. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, Roman and Mia Farrow were both nominated, but they didn't win. But, you know, I guess just being nominated was something for a horror film especially, because that hardly ever happens. Uh, you I might... heard, or excuse me, I read she didn't want to win. I don't know why. Uh, Maybe she didn't have a good experience. Like, I know it wasn't a terrible experience, but... Maybe it was something like she had to get through this going through a fucking divorce, you know? Well, I mean, she, I don't know. She looks back fondly on it now, but yeah, at the time she might've been like, you know, just too much, you know, went into it and especially with the weight she lost and, you know, everything else that went on, it, it probably did weigh on her and she probably didn't want I mean, she's probably done with it at the time and didn't care, but I mean, it, it's something for, you know, a first-time director, first-time actress to, to, I mean, to get nominated and to get make that much money. I mean, that's huge. I mean, that's a major oh, you yeah. know, thing. Um, we've, we've already kind of went over the curse and everything else. Um, as far as the ratings go, I'm just going to, you know, bring this back up for anybody who might not realize, you know, what our rating scale is. We, we rate things. I'm just going to say up front, this movie's terrific as far as a movie goes. I mean, perfect filmmaking or, you know, some of the best. I mean, Polanski, you know, regardless of his, you know, stuff outside the movies, he was brilliant at, at, as a filmmaker. But we're rating this on scariness, you know. So our rating scale is one is Casper, uh, not very scary at all, actually probably comical. Two is Patrick Swayze from Ghost. Uh, three is Bruce Willis from The Sixth Sense. Four is Mrs. Massey, the ghost woman from room 237 in The Shining. And five is Beetlejuice because he is the ghost with the most. I personally rate this as a two. I don't feel like it's very scary. There are some creepy scenes in it. If I'm going to go back like I did with The uh, Exorcist and give it like some bump ups for contextualizing uh, where it, at what time it came, uh, considering it predated even The Exorcist and, and what it had in there, I would probably bump it up to a three, maybe 3.5, somewhere in that range. But I still... This movie, I mean, Polanski made the Satanists like many just too goofy, like, I mean, intentionally, but he made them too goofy for me to be overly scared at the film. And not being a Catholic, you know, a lot of that other stuff in there doesn't play on me. And, you know, so I don't, I mean, it doesn't really frighten me that much. Well, alrighty. I guess it's my turn. <laughs> um, as a kid, and I was really young when I watched this, I want to say I was younger than 10 when I saw this. Pretty decently Catholic, if that makes sense, meaning we were going to church and I wasn't so much doing my religious rites yet, but we I know we were attending church and there were certain things that were expected of me in terms of my beliefs, especially as a young person. So this film was, I guess, in a way presented to me as, you know, something super scary, you know, we don't worship the devil, uh, you know, this is this woman's giving birth to the devil's baby. I was terrified to watch it, but I watched it. And I as a as a kid, I was thoroughly disappointed. I was like, this movie is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, when I saw the devil's eyes at the end, when they flash back to, you know, her seeing the devil, I thought that that was the baby. 
and still didn't think it was scary. I was like, oh, it's an ugly ass baby, but okay. And I do not at all remember her coming to in a way and kind of getting that motherly instinct and saying, oh, okay, that's not that bad, you know. I don't remember that. So I don't know. that. That's as a child. Now, as an adult watching this film, I have seen all the awesomeness in terms of filming and knowing the location and kind of the witchcraft behind it, the filming, what was involved with it. And even with that, I still, I have never liked this movie and I still do not like this movie. Even knowing all the good (laughs) stuff about it, the cool stuff and everything. Um, So for me, it's going to be a Casper because I hated it as a kid. I hate it a little (laughs) less now, but I still hate it. I can. I mean, I didn't know if you were expecting that from me. No, I, 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 I didn't know how you were. I, I honestly didn't know what your rating was going to be because I know that some of this stuff, like the demonic stuff, doesn't scare me whatsoever. It really don't. I mean, if it's tied into like a haunting slash possession type thing, then it, it, you know, it notches it up there because it kind of teeters over in the territory that I actually, because you know, horror like comedy is is all relative. Thing, you know, people find different things funny and scary based upon life history and everything else but i was just like well you know being a catholic she you know she might you know find it scarier that might not i mean she's seen it before and it might not have any effect on her i just didn't know i'm giving it just a two because like i said the the the, there's a little bit of creepiness especially at the end and some of the stuff in the middle and i'm giving it that and i'm bumping it up slightly for you know the audiences at the time and what they would have seen because this kind of predates everything oh man people swear up and down this is the scariest and most best movie and i respect people that feel that way a lot of people feel that way about other movies that I'm like I did not like it and you know (laughs) that's just me that doesn't mean I have to change how they feel you know but it doesn't surprise me that you rate it that way I mean it's like I was just I was trying to figure out where it would you know bump off the scale I was going to be surprised if it rated a five I was like there's no way in hell this is you know (laughs) because it's it's just not those films um there's a film, and, and that's, you know, go, moving on slightly, but there's a film that, a uh, you know, special presentation that hope that we hopefully we can discuss, you know, next before, you know, the film after, which would be The Omen. That's the next, you know, major, you know, episode of the podcast because, you know, if we're going to discuss the baby Antichrist, let's discuss, you know, discuss the one that actually does the, the bad stuff as the, the boy Antichrist. But, um, and it's also a cursed film, so there's a lot of you know neat stuff with it. But uh, the next film is I, I was going to do is like a companion piece to this, but I, it's such a good movie that I don't want to just like you know do like a short segment on it. And that's you know like I mentioned, the House of the Devil. It's it's almost it's the scary version of Rosemary's Baby, and I say that you know it's it's got more of a modern sense of what scary is, and and it actually it affects me way more than this movie does as far as the scares in it. It's maybe not it's not a better film. I can't say that. I mean. It's a good film, but it's scarier. So, um, yeah, that's something I'd probably appreciate a little more. I mean, I didn't tell my children how I felt about this film, and they watched it for the first time and they hated it. It, you wouldn't be able to show them House of the Devil, I don't think. I mean, it's, oh yeah, it, no. it's, <laughs> I mean, it's not. I, I don't remember it having anything like that far out there. But it's got more. It's it's we'll get into it. But it's got more of a '70s sleaze vibe to it going on. And even though it was made oh, in like okay. 2000s, and so it's got more of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, it, it's more painted with that. You know, type of horror in in mind, and and that that bumps up better against what you know like 
you know, people like myself, you know, and, and you that were raised in the eighties, I mean, you know, we're used to the slashers more and that, you know, and that, that's kind of, and stuff like that's a little bit, I mean, there, there's, there's room for psychological horror, but like, there's also the room, the room, you know, and the stuff that appeals to me more is a little bit more of the, you know, in your face stuff. And, and there is definitely more in your face scenes in house of the devil when it comes to that. Well, it sounds like a plan. It sounds like something I want to look into. So do you have anything else to plug for the blue collar BS? No, not at the, well, excuse, I shouldn't say no. Absolutely. Yes, I do. I mean, uh, I'm going to be releasing Rosemary's Baby first, and then I'll be releasing our special presentation, which is Sabrina, excuse me, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So that will be following up shortly after I release this episode. Um, and then as usual, Blue Collar BS, which is the network we are on. We also have a show that is live every Friday, and that's at 8 p.m., Pacific time, so California time, as I'd like to say, makes it easier since there's a Pacific mountain and whatever else. That doesn't matter. Just kidding. (laughs) 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 Also on Blue Collar BS, you can catch Hot Mess Express. Our schedule is a hot mess because we basically record whenever we can get together in the studio. So usually once every other week we get an episode out. And what is our next movie that we are going to be reviewing uh, the Omen, yeah, it's the you know the, the Omen. Oh, yeah, yes, the yeah. kind of the follow up, huh? Yeah, I mean, I figure we'll we'll do the Omen, and then we'll follow that up with the Devil's Advocate because spoiler alert, it might also deal with the devil and his offspring. So we'll we'll kind of go down that route for a little bit, and then maybe you know pull back and go to some different you know demonic uh, aspects of you know the devil and or you know like a little different route besides his child. Well, I dig it. I'm looking forward to that. So with that, I guess I will have to sign off by saying peace be with you. And with your spirit. Thank you for listening to the finale of Rosemary's Baby on Death Holler. Please join us next time when we review The Omen. Death Holler is brought to you by Blue Collar BS with your host, Reverend Dr. Death and La Arena. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share. We'll catch you next time. And don't forget to bring your death certificate.